0: The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you as a perfect loving father who disciplines us, who instructs us, who loves us, who forgives us. We thank you for the blessing of family and grandchildren. I pray that you'd help me to impart some wisdom from your word that would be a benefit to my brothers and sisters here. Help what we say to be true to the scriptures. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to talk about godly grandparenting in an ungodly age. And Caroline and I are really kind of new, novice grandparents. I guess if John wants to put up the first picture, the photo, so we're really new at that. Now, I realize there's a real risk of showing this picture because now everybody else wants to go show their grandparent pictures <laughs> and, and we'll never get anywhere. But what actually happened with us is our, our son, uh, just over, I guess about a year and a half ago, we acquired a step-granddaughter who's in the middle, Alexandra, who has a ballet performance tonight that Caroline's going to. And uh, then last summer in July, Uh, Graham was born there, I'm holding him, and then Baltimore is another granddaughter whom Caroline is holding, so uh, we're new at this, and I even wondered, well, why am I talking about this? And here's how it got started, you can take the photo off now, they'll be looking at that and not at me, because they're cuter than I am, (laughs) but I was actually contacted about speaking at a conference in Texas earlier this year, and they needed somebody to talk about grandparenting. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know a lot about that. We got nobody else, they said. So I said, okay, I'll try. And one thing I discovered, and it's kind of like actually some of the books I've written, is that there really weren't many books from a biblical counseling point of view that had a lot to say about grandparenting. It's kind of a lightly covered subject. I actually learned through my experience of somebody who was working on something. I look forward to seeing when it comes out. And yet, as we believe that the Bible is sufficient for everything, that that God has given us what we need for every good work in the Scriptures, uh, so it became kind of a challenge to, uh, you know, how can I speak to the issues in grandparenting? And part of what I'm looking for in the Bible is, you know, what are the issues that need to be addressed? And I've actually had two experiences that have shaped me a bit. One is that the, probably the best experience I had growing up was with my maternal grandfather. And he was actually, in many ways, more to me than my dad was. Um, my dad was not a believer. I'm very thankful for many things about my dad, who passed away several years ago. But my grandfather, I think part of the deal was he had two daughters and he was longing for a son. And so when I was born, I was the first male offspring and I was growing up in Northern Virginia. My dad was working in D.C. and my grandfather was working there and he wanted to turn me into a true Texan. And so, I mean, when I could barely hold a gun, I was shooting and uh, he, you know, hunting and fishing and uh, then is actually we all moved to Texas when I was in elementary school and he takes me out to, you know, sitting hours and hours in a deer blind looking for some nice buck for me to shoot, and I think he was far more excited about my doing that than I was. Actually, I haven't killed a deer since he died. Um, but he wanted to talk, and actually, that's maybe why he didn't see many deer. We would just talk and talk and talk, and I felt like any time I wanted to talk to somebody, he had unlimited time for me. Up until the week that he passed away, over, I guess, 25 years ago now, we would talk every weekend on the phone, and, full of wisdom, and he was just so interested in me all the time. He was also a model to me in terms of marriage. And even now, as I saw how he and my grandmother related to each other, it really became in many ways a model for Carol and me. I remember I tell the story in other contexts where when I was a kid, I would uh, eat dinner with them, and my grandfather would be working all day long in D.C. for the Department of Agriculture, he would come home through traffic, We'd eat dinner. I'd been hanging out with my grandmother all day. And then after dinner, he gets up and does the dishes. And I'm thinking, she's been kind of sitting around talking to me, playing bridge. He's been working all day. Why is he doing the dishes? And, but he just was a model of servanthood and, and her respect and just treated her so well. And so when I got serious about Caroline in college, I wanted to take Caroline down to South Texas where they were living and have her meet them and them meet her. And Whatever is good in our marriage, so many of it really was patterned after theirs. Although I have to, for honesty's sake, say that doesn't include the dishes part. Uh, <laughs> you can ask Caroline about that. Um, it was such a blessing. Uh, there's been another thing that's happened to me more recently: is that I'm I'm surrounded by millennials, and it's an I'm I'm, I'm teaching in a seminary. Where I've got a lot of these students in their 20s and 30s who are having to deal with their parents, which means us, and the problems they're facing with their parents, some of whom aren't believers. I'm in a church with lots of uh, young families, and oftentimes the families are not believers, the children are. And I've seen people facing some pretty serious challenges. Uh, you, you, you have these dreams of the model grandparent and We hear of situations people describe oh, yeah. You know, our kids are moving from out of state just to be near us. They want to live down the street from us, and they want to be around us all the time, and we're all with our grandkids, we're all getting along great, and I'm really happy for people in those situations, but because we live in a fallen world, and quite frankly, because we live in a declining post-Christian culture, the challenges between generations, when one generation is believing and the other isn't, are going to mount over time, when your kids tell you, well, we're never going to spank our kids because we've read articles saying it's always harmful for psycho- you know, psychologists say this, and implicitly, and you've really fouled us up when you spanked us. Um, and then, as I see, you know, some grandparents have grandchildren who turn from the faith. Uh, some parents, as they look at what you know, the grandparents are doing with the kids and not following rules and uh, not... Uh, supporting the values of the parents. So there's, there's all kinds of challenges going on. So I'm gonna kinda of talk about the ideal, then I'm gonna address some problems that come up and hopefully with some biblical answers. Uh, first of all, the Bible tells us that uh, grandchildren are a blessing. That's in scripture. May you see your children's children. Grandchildren are the glory of old men. Uh, In our little church, when it's been my turn to preach, I've been going through the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth ends with Naomi, finally a grandmother, holding her grandbaby Obed, through whom deliverance comes for the family, for the nation, and for the world in God's amazing plan, and so it's a very, very happy ending for a grandmother. That was not mine. There's going to be some challenges editing this, I think. Um, that, uh, you know, somebody said when they started having grandkids, if I knew grandchildren were this much fun, I would have had them first. And even for Carolyn and me, we've never been the baby snatchers at church, you know, the people who walk up, the people with babies, oh, let me hold your baby. But boy, there's just something entirely different in life when you're holding your own grandbaby. It's amazing. And we as grandparents have great potential to be a blessing to our grandchildren. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Do not forget the things you have seen, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. Psalm 78 says, Even to a generation yet unborn. And in a a wonderful situation that some people have, there's opportunity for the grandparents to provide instruction. In the book of Deuteronomy, it would be in the context of tell your children what God did in delivering us out of Egypt. Uh, In Deuteronomy 6, of course, those redemptive acts that parents, and I would say grandparents, are to tell their children about or their grandchildren about, ultimately are pointing to the redemption we have in Christ. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty works, the psalmist says. And and so some of us have the privilege of of reading the Bible to our grandchildren, of telling them Bible stories, and I would say do so in a a Christ-centered way, pointing to the gospel. You read of, uh, in 2 Timothy 1.5 where Paul writes to Timothy, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And so there's a lovely multi-generational continuity of faith. I think there's a great opportunity to share our testimony, to share our life story, especially couching in the context of here is how God saved me when I was your age, and I was converted when I was about 14 or 15, I hope to tell grandchildren about that and as they approach that age, uh, here's what God has done in guiding our lives. Uh, The book of Proverbs is written as a book of of wisdom, and so where we have interaction with our grandchildren to teach them the fear of the Lord, and financial wisdom, and wisdom at work, and dealing with temptation, and uh, using our tongue wisely, uh, self-control, wise friendship. You may be sowing seed that will bear fruit many, many years later. And you'll hear people describe the influence of a godly grandmother. I've done a lot of baptisms and testimonies over the years and church membership interviews. And you'll hear in, when people are saying how they came to faith. and Their parents weren't believers, but there was this grandmother who read the Bible and told them about the Bible. Uh, being an example, like I described my grandparents, where just how they treated each other was so Remarkably different, really, than I'd ever seen people treat each other in the context of marriage. When Paul can say his example, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And so, integrity and faith and grace and love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Praying for our grandchildren. In in Genesis 48, you have uh, Israel or Jacob praying for his sons and the future generations Uh, There's actually, among the limited offerings on grandparenting, there's one whole book about praying for your grandchildren, and you you think of your grandchildren growing up in this age. I'm glad there was not an internet when I was a teenager, (laughs) that they're in a world that is much more difficult, and to be on our knees for them. If you have this kind of relationship with their parents, with your children, how can we pray for your family? How can we pray for your children? And to be faithful in that, pray for their conversion, pray for their freedom from worldliness, pray for their vocation, for their spouse. You may have more time, or you may be more faithful than their own parents are. As they get older, say, how can I pray for you? Uh, one author described how asking such questions of a grandchild can offer wonderful opportunity for a great conversation. And then just communication. I already talked about, I, actually, I remember when I was a little kid, five, six years old, my dad liked to sleep in, my mom didn't mind that either, and I'd get up at six in the morning and go down stairs where the one phone hanging on the wall was, you're old enough to understand this illustration, i have to explain it to other people, and you know, dialed it with my finger, and I would call my grandfather, I don't know if I ever woke him up or not, but he sure never acted like it, I might talk on the phone with him for an hour as a five or six year old, and just, he never seemed too busy. Uh, there are now, you have to be more tech savvy to be a grandparent, you get an Amazon show or FaceTime and uh, make those efforts to send them words of encouragement, uh, something that might shock them. And Caroline is a Sunday school teacher for like 30-something years. She will send cards to her students, and little children don't get mail much anymore. <laughs> and to send a card or a letter, my grandfather used to write me letters on yellow uh, lined paper, like uh, people, legal pads. And they're in a box somewhere in my garage in Charlotte, I think. I maybe should dig them out someday. Um, showing up at events. Again, like Caroline would like to be here tonight. I have to be here tonight. I've had to explain. But uh, there's the ballet recital, and there you go. And you know, the, it could be the baseball game, the soccer game, the band concert. And looking back, I, now that I'm an adult and I'm busy, I realize... You know, to, to drive halfway across the state of Texas, uh, you'd be there for two days, the concert comes, and your grandchild may be featured for 30 seconds, <laughs> and yet that's what grandparents do. That's, it's being there for them and showing interest in them. Uh, it's little gifts. I'm not, you know, not saying you spoil them rotten. Uh, that's another topic. But unexpected little gift, a snow globe from an airport. Make sure you pass security before you do that. Um, When I was in college, I remember my grandmother would send me boxes of oatmeal cookies. And I was an an accounting and economics type major. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, she spent $3 to send this box of oatmeal cookies. When they get here, they're mostly crumbs, but they are tasty. I could have, for a dollar, gone in 1977 and bought a lot more oatmeal cookies but I wouldn't have remembered that. I do remember what I got. Just ways of expressing love and care. Affection, hugs. Uh, demonstrating the unconditional love that God has for you. Your, your grandchild may not be able to bring home the bumper sticker saying, my child was the most outstanding citizen and student at Podunk Elementary School, you know, that you can proudly stick that on the back of your car. Your grandchild may get poor grades, they may not be very good in sports, they may get into trouble. I actually spent most of elementary school in trouble, personally. As they get older, they may get involved in more serious adult-sized sins of immorality or substance abuse. You don't want to enable those, them in that situation, but there may be times when the parents are at the end of their rope and you can step in and help. Uh, Caroline and I have been dealing with a, a counseling situation where. A teenager has done great evil and it was determined that he really was it wasn't safe for the children for him to remain in the house and a set of grandparents stepped up to take kind of custody of him and that's an amazing sacrifice for those grandparents. It's such a comfort for the parents because legally that child was not allowed to stay in the home and the next place would have been juvenile hall for an extended period of time. And uh, You know, the the parents would say, oh, but their theology isn't that great, and their church has a woman pastor sometimes. I'm for good theology, and I'm for male pastors, but if you've got some grandparents (laughs) willing to come in and rescue in that situation, be quiet and thank God. (laughs) And uh, anyway, so, and even times just when I've seen a lot of teenagers in trouble, sometimes they're desperate to talk to anybody except their own parents. That's sometimes where counseling has come in, and they're scared, and they're confused, and they're mad at their parents, and you might have a relationship with them in in that situation. Uh, Affirmation. Uh, We had Sam Crabtree here a few years ago teaching practicing affirmation. Uh, We point out that in 1 Corinthians 1, if you think of a messed up church, you think it's Corinth, and yet Paul finds some things to affirm about what God is doing in Corinth before he starts correcting what is wrong. And so there's a per- correct Biblical affirmation that can be given even for God's common grace in the life of an unbeliever. Uh, we as grandparents can give uh, an earthly heritage. It's interesting in Proverbs 13, it says a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, to his children's children. Uh, and a situation that really realistically comes up is that for many of us, especially as you approach retirement, you think, well, I hope to live until I'm 85 or 90 or whatever it is. By that time, your children or your grandchildren probably won't need your money as much as they do now. And there can be situations in which, not enabling foolishness, if someone will not work, neither shall he eat, But there are situations where giving money to help a down payment for the family, or paying tuition for a Christian school, or paying for supplies for homeschooling and and paying for books, and helping them in a very challenging time in life if God has given you the means to do so. Um, Again, my grandfather, whom I talked about, made an offer to all of his grandchildren that he would give a new car to every grandchild who um, got a college degree and I was the first, 1979 Buick Regal. Bad decision on the car, but. uh, um, I have a, my father-in-law pays for every one of his grandchildren to go to a Christian camp during the summer, uh, making memories. And this doesn't, the story at first won't exactly relate, but Caroline graduated with her master's degree in counseling a year ago. And because I'm faculty, I did not have to pay much tuition, for which I'm very, very glad. And so she got a, whatever, twenty dollars or $30,000 degree for 5% of that. And so her graduation gift from me was an annual pass to Disney World. And we, I got one for myself as well so she wouldn't have to go alone. And as we went, we've been a couple times on her annual pass, it expires in October, but what I noticed when I was there this time is that most of the family, do you know how much it costs to get into Disney World? Do you know how much it costs to stay there? Who can afford that? So what I noticed there is a huge percentage of the people there is you've got grandma and grandpa, and sometimes two families with mom, dad, and children, and grandma and grandpa are basically just watching their money go. (laughs) They've enabled this occasion, and so They love their children so much to do something nice for the family that mom and dad at this stage of life couldn't have afforded. But I realize they're not going on any rides. They're just kind of watching the kids that are afraid to go on the ride while mom and dad go on with the other kids. But that's love. That's caring. And it also can, you know, you can enable, my parents would enable occasions where, okay, we're all going to go to Colorado and be in a house together and, and actually interact, which doesn't happen as well at Disney World. Um, grandparents can also help their adult children. In Proverbs 4, it says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to these words, keep my commandments and live. Uh, Actually, somebody, uh, before I gave this talk, when I said I felt a little awkward giving a grandparenting talk when I've only been a grandparent just over like a year and a half. He said, well, that means you still know everything. (laughs) Uh, Similarly, you know, when our kids have kids, sometimes they suddenly realize they're not as smart as they thought they were. And they're coming back for advice. Well, what do you do? And I've even seen our our daughters-in-law contacting Caroline in different settings and different situations with their children. And so... You can be a source of wisdom, like the Bible is describing, multi-generational wisdom. Now, I would give you also a piece of advice about this is wait to be asked. Uh, that uh, it should be, and, and if they're wise, they will seek your wisdom. So you offer them counsel. And, but they realize this is harder than we thought. You, I remember when I had little kids, and. Actually, our first baby was born in the U.S. and then we had to leave like 10 days later to go back where I was working in Saudi Arabia. And I felt very weird not having my mom and her mom around to help us, you know, for the next five or six years. Um, Another thing I think can be really helpful, it's an opportunity with your own children to admit your own failings as a parent. And you look back and to be humble and say, here's where I see that we were more strict than we needed to be. We were legalistic. We sometimes were so focused on getting everything done we didn't have enough fun. And here's how we we, we were things we did, and we're still not sure whether we did the right thing or the wrong thing. And it's it's humbling to us. Uh, perhaps asking for forgiveness for particular things. Uh, I think you can help them just by having that positive relationship and influence with your grandchildren. Uh, there can even be times, and it has to be done very carefully, but where the grandchildren are straying or there's a broken relationship between the grandchildren and their parents and with kind of understanding of all people involved, you can be a peacemaker and and work towards reconciliation. Uh, Another obvious category for helping the the parents is childcare. Uh, Carolyn and I every year would go off for a few days, typically in our anniversary and Uh, We also would take mission trips that would sometimes last a couple of weeks, and I remember my mom flying out and uh, watching our kids for a big chunk of that time so we could do those things with kids who still needed care. Um, Now we're having payback for some of that on the way. Um, Tutoring help, Uh, sometimes it could be even help in crisis, Uh, all kinds of things can happen in that setting, even... You know, lost their job, no place to live. A lot of tough decisions go along with that. Help with a special needs grandchild. And I've seen where a grandmom comes in and she has kind of taken over the education of one of the grandchildren because it's more than the the mother can handle right now. Uh, The Bible teaches that grandparents should be honored and respected. Uh, Leviticus 19.32 you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Actually, before I came out here, I looked at myself in the mirror in the men's room out there and I'm thinking, that guy's pretty old. I remember we used to come to these things. He had a full head of hair. It was darker and look what happened to me. But I guess there's benefits too. Um, But then, as I've described that, Not everyone has these ideal, multi-generational, we all get along, live in the same neighborhood, and and everything's great. In Genesis 4, you have in the very first family with uh, Cain and Abel. You have uh, Esau uh, marrying against his parents' wishes and troubles with his wives. Uh, Luke 12, you have Jesus' warning. In verse 51, do you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth? And I tell you no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And this is where hanging out with my millennial students and friends at church has been interesting because there's estrangement coming from all different directions, and they're there are situations where you have unbelieving parents who, or grandparents I should say, who somehow took offense at something and now won't talk to the uh, their own kids and grandkids and they've cut themselves off and just they're pursuing peace, there's nothing they can do. Um, there are other cases where, as with my millennial friends, where they let their parents watch the kids and they're thankful for the help, but then they've eaten what they're not supposed to eat, they stayed up late, they watched stuff on TV they weren't supposed to watch. It's like, don't you respect my rules? Uh, The verse I had is, fathers do not exasperate your children for this, so they will not lose heart. And I normally think of that like not exasperating your five-year-old, but I've seen some 65-year-olds exasperate their 35-year-olds. so among the negatives, uh, you know, in the Bible, there are ungodly grandparents who are a bad influence. You have, uh, I had an example in Kings, First Kings seventeen forty one. So while these nations feared the Lord, they served their idols. Their children, likewise, and their grandchildren, as their fathers did, so they do today. I mean, when you look at First and Second Kings and you see the bad kings and the the multi generational disasters. Uh, repeated patterns of sin. I even think of, you know, Abraham who almost made his wife go with another man. And then Isaac does the same thing. And so our sinful examples can be harmful. Uh, The area where there's the most tension is you must respect the right of your children who are the parents to run their families according to their own beliefs and conscience unless you disagree. Genesis two twenty four for this cause a man will leave his father and mother will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And again, we've this has been a little bit of a new thing for us, but we've run into some pretty big problems. Uh, one would be if your children haven't given you grandchildren yet, don't nag them all the time to give you grandchildren. And that, that's a tension in some relationships. I can tell you that they're sick of it. You know, even if getting, you need to get married and be grandkids, or you, you're married, why aren't you having kids yet? Well, they know, by the way, they already know this is what you think, right? You're not helping them by reminding them, you're nagging them. Uh, I even have seen a case where this couple is pregnant and the grandparents kind of want to run things and here's how the shower is going to be and here's what you're going to name the baby and here's when you're going to be with us and it's provoking. Uh, It can be challenging when they say, well, We read the article in the Journal of Psychology, and it says you should never spank your kids, so we're ever going to spank our kids. Well, that's fine, and I'm not going to spank your kids either. I'm going to respect your rules. But here's where it can hurt, is they're implicitly saying, and you were really failures as parents because you messed us up by spanking us. And it's a discussion you would like to avoid, actually, but it's a challenge. Uh, You know, their choice of school, education. You know, mom's going to go out in the workforce, put the kid in the daycare, and uh, they live in another town. You can't do it for them, and those, those are hard. Um, but you are not in control, and I've seen some grandparents get into a lot of trouble because they want control, and they keep pushing and pushing and pushing uh, for the way they things that are right, and we, Caroline has been dealing with a case recently where there's a, a grandma, and she loves her grandkids, but she's totally frustrated with how her son and daughter-in-law are are raising these kids, and this, you know, the scripture says, well, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, and this woman cannot keep her thoughts to herself, and I think her facial expressions would reveal her heart if she wasn't talking, but she's probably right about what her son and daughter-in-law are doing wrong, but her repeated expression of her disagreements are not having any positive influence whatsoever in changing these parents. If you you don't have a relationship of trust with them, then they're going to be, you're not gonna make things better by uh, nagging. And I think it's really important. We've done this like one of our sons actually did. He sent me a link where studies have shown spanking is always harmful for kids. Well, I've got Proverbs. Study has shown God's word says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. I get it that probably researchers don't often see parents who discipline their children in love, under control, not angry, the way the Bible teaches, so I understand why they think it's all abusive. I still believe the Bible, but I can tell my son and daughter-in-law without hesitation, we will completely respect your rules regarding your child. We're not going to defy you. We're going to follow your rules. Now, in my mind, I'm also thinking, and if they're absolutely out of control, I'm not going to watch them. You know, that if you, if you leave, want to leave them with me for a week and I'm not allowed to do anything to them, I may decline that opportunity, but, you know, God has given you authority in this situation and it's not mine to take away, And which gets to not undermining parental authority. And John, could you show my video, please? It's not my video, but it's one I wanted to show to wake you up in the middle of the afternoon. I've still got to do another one after this. So. need volume. Mom, where were you the night of August 24th? You sent Annabeth over to my house for the night. Exactly. So explain this. There's a Snickers and a Reese cup. She loves those. It's sugar. And according to section 14-2 of Mom's rule book, there's a strict ban on sugar in this house. But sweetie. We weren't at your house. So you want to play that game. All right, Mom. Tell me, what was my bedtime when I was Annabeth's age? Nine o'clock. Uh-huh. Now, can you read the timestamp for me on this selfie? You know I can't read without my glasses. 10.30 PM. You can't believe everything you see on the internet. You posted this on your own Facebook. I don't see what the problem is. I'm her grandma. It's my job to spoil her. That's it. (laughs) Kevin. Okay, Grandma. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. I brought you some chocolate chip cookies. They're on the counter. Cookies? Awesome. Make sure Annabeth gets some. They're her favorite. No. No! Mom, you leave me no choice. If you're going to watch Annabeth, then you have to follow our rules. That means no sugar. It means be in bed by 9. It means eating what everyone else eats for dinner. And no more than an hour of TV. And are you even listening to me right now? Look at this. Do you think Annabeth would like this? (sighs) Yes, she would look adorable in that. I know. That's why I bought it. Now, if you'll please excuse me. I've promised Annabeth to go get ice cream. Annabeth! Sweetie, it's time for ice cream. Well, that went well. (laughs) So, um, that's humorous. It has some, it's funny because it's real. But I've been dealing with some well, the millennial couples, who are actually more frustrated than the lady in the video, so we have to be very careful don 't undermine parental authority would include not criticizing the parents to the children to uh, you know the, the, the parents may have some weird diet thing where they 're only going to eat things that are brown or they 're only going to eat things that you know aren 't animals or never been near an animal or whatever. Uh, If you disagree, keep it to yourself. Uh, The gift thing, when in doubt, check with the parents and don't give gifts that may be contrary to their standards. And I actually have a story to tell on myself. In about 1987, when I would have had kids who were like five and three and on the way, my mother braved long lines and crowds at Toys R Us to get one of the early Nintendo systems before anybody ever heard of Nintendo. It was was the Christmas gift that nobody could find in the store. She snagged one. I told her my kids could not have it. That was really mean and unwise of me. I thought I was protecting my children from video games. Like, that worked. Um, A year later, I let her give it to them. But what, what impresses me is her grace when I did that to her that she was still nice to me and we still love each other. Um, Discipline, uh, I think that you have to, again, for spanking, if your children have standards and they want you to follow those standards and you're comfortable with spanking, that can work out. Actually, my grandfather of whom I spoke so highly earlier, he gave me one spanking. I remember it well. I never needed another one from him. It made an impression on me. I didn't think he would ever do it. I deserved it. Um, Attention we have is we have children, our children are not believers, and they don't want us proselytizing their children. And so we really have to make sure in terms of, you know, giving Bible storybooks and telling Bible stories and praying at meals, we're trying to respect their standard in their home with their children, even though we yearn uh, to bring the Lord's truth to them. There's actually kind of an irony that with our granddaughter who's now eight, uh, they're living in our old house in Escondido in a neighborhood where the public school isn't good, so they've actually put our granddaughter into a Christian school, even though that's not what they believe. (laughs) And she's getting Bible stories and prayer and everything every day, and we just smile and keep our mouths shut. Um, other things are more serious. Like I said, the, very thing, the things were on the video where there are food restrictions, or even just in terms of we don't let our kids watch PG or PG-13, and then the grandparents go beyond that, and children are coming home with new words, and you know, taking the two-year-old in the front seat without a car seat and a drive or something. So... There's a risk, I mean, even for us. Like, what could be better than to read Bible stories to your grandchildren? Well, if we defy our children and do that, we could lose access to our grandchildren. And there are cases where grandparents have, and I've counseled families, where the grandfather has acted in a certain way, I'm not just talking about abusively even, but anger, inappropriate behavior, where access is diminished restricted and even lost with a certain level of defiance on the part of the grandparents. So we have to realize we don't have control, and I mean, there can be extreme situations where for the safety of your grandchildren, they have to be reported to, you know, CPS or something when you've got horrible things happening in the home that are dangerous, but generally speaking, uh, we, we don't want to, you know, I know of multiple situations where in some cases, the, the, I've advised the parent just the, the Parents with the grandparents that if you're, you you go, but if you can't leave your kids there alone because of the way the grandparents are acting, or you if they start acting in a certain way, you have to get up and go. Those are really sad situations. These are things I never imagined when I was younger. Uh, You know, I had this memory as a kid growing up in the '60s of old people being kind of nice, and there's some really nasty old people now, and some of them are grandparents. We don't want to obviously. Be that, we may be having to counsel people who have very hard-hearted uh, parents uh, that they may have to keep their kids from to some degree. Uh, another general principle in terms of favoritism in Genesis 37, Now, Joseph, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was the son of his old age. He married, made him the multicolored tunic. Joseph's brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Some grandchildren are cuter, more articulate, more clever, more successful, more talented, more athletic than others. Uh, our very first plenary session with Deepak was God's choice of us. I am chosen. And how did God choose us? Well, 1 Corinthians 1 says, not the, God has chosen not the mighty, not the noble. You know, He's chosen the weak things of the world. That God has chosen these grandchildren for you. And, and in some cases, it can be as you love the less loved more, as you embrace them and love them with the kind of love you have uh, from the Lord. Because I've seen cases where the parents favor the beautiful, talented one, and you want to have a special relationship with each of your grandchildren. That's, that's an opportunity. Um, a couple of other smaller landmines, uh, just in-law problems. Uh, it can be competition with gifts. It can be Uh, Where are they going to spend Christmas, Thanksgiving? Uh, They know what you want. You don't want to be pressuring there. It can be difficult. And then one other category of of sin is just the temptation to be selfish. Uh, That, again, there's kind of a new generation. The boomers are now grandparents, and it's been a generation that hasn't had to sacrifice much in life up until now. And, You can go, I mean, there can be selfish parents who take advantage of the grandparents by give me this, take care of my kids, and they're neglectful. But there also can be selfish grandparents. Old age is not a time just to take care of yourself. Old age is a time to serve God, including loving your family. And if you no longer have an ordinary job and you have time, rather than living for yourself and for comfort, it's an opportunity to serve and to love and to have influence. And so I think, we should be prepared to serve, and, and I will admit, like uh, I went to Disneyland with my grandchildren and my wife last week, and I've had this lifelong mentality because I had boys. You go to Disneyland and you ride as many rides as you can and you get all this stuff done. Well, I've got an eight-year-old who wants to walk in every shop and try on princess crowns. <laughs> Well, I have a fast pass about to expire on Space Mountain or something. And so just realize, it's a silly example, but I'm not at Disneyland for me this time. I'm at Disneyland for them, and to be a servant, and it can be much more so when you're keeping them overnight, when you're doing things for them, but that can be a good thing. Um, Again, some relationships have exceptional challenges in the face of sin and unbelief. Uh, I'm gonna skip down, if you're, trying to follow in the outline to letter B for a moment. And this, I'm gonna summarize it very briefly because it's in my other material. It's in the When Good Kids Make Bad Choices book. It's also in the Parenting is More Than a Formula book, but just to bring it up in terms of you know, what do you do when relationships are broken due to unbelief in your family? The thing that Jesus was talking about in Luke 12, that families would be divided. Three against two, two against three and you could have situations where it's your own children who are unbelieving, which is what Carolyn and I are challenged with, or your grandchildren go as they get older into young adult life, teenage, they turn away. What causes this? And you know, did I do something wrong as a parent or a grandparent that made my children get all messed up? And my understanding biblically is that we as parents have a responsibility you know, train up a child in the way he is going; the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Fathers, uh, train up your children, discipline them, and teach them. Don't provoke them to anger. Ephesians six four. That we have a responsibility to do what the Bible says in disciplining our children, in teaching them the Word of God, in evangelizing them. Not merely trying to make them moral, but bringing the gospel into our training. When they fail, to show them that your, your sin shows how you need Jesus or you won't be able to stop doing this and the forgiveness we offer that emulates the forgiveness that God shows us. And so we try to be faithful. None of us will do it perfectly. But the Bible also teaches that we're not the only influence in the lives of our children, that we, we live in a, a sinful and fallen world. The whole world, 1 John 5, 19, lies under the control of the evil one. Romans 12:2 warns not to be conformed to this world. Proverbs 13:20 talks about who you walk with; the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, the passage in my mind that really, actually, the whole book of Proverbs, is, culminates in chapter nine, is setting before a young person a choice in life. And in chapter nine, in the first six verses, wisdom has a banquet, and she's saying, you know she's laid out her food, and it's a lovely banquet. And says, "Come here and eat with me," and that's the early chapters of Proverbs are wisdom crying out in the street, and they're crying out to the young person, to your grandchildren, to your children before, that choose wisdom, not folly. But then Lady Folly, Madam Folly, at the end of chapter 9, also has a banquet. Oh, stolen waters taste sweet, and you know, enticing you with the, the, the world and, and its attractions, and the world can be really attractive. And And so your children and your grandchildren are going to hear both voices. And and you want to be the voice of wisdom. and You want to be the voice of Christ. Come unto me, all you who are weary, heaven laden. I will give you rest. But they're going to hear the voice of the world saying that the things we've talked about in terms of identity is that you need to express whatever your sexual feelings are, whatever makes you happy, and that's who you are, and don't worry about these old puritanical Old ideas, history's left those behind, and they're gonna be tempted by those things, and no matter how much we try to shelter our children and our grandchildren, they will hear the voice of folly, and they have to decide for themselves whether they believe it or not. Cain and Abel, you think he didn't have all the influences we did, but he had his own sinful heart, and that was enough to turn him into a murderer without an internet or video games. Which then brings us, the Bible says, that our children are responsible, and our grandchildren for, are responsible for the choices they make. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if he is, his conduct is right and pure. That our children are born with a sinful nature. Uh, I've told people before, the book, Good, good Kids Make Bad Choices, the, I don't like the title because there aren't good kids. Publisher chose the title. <laughs> you know, it's when supposedly good kids make bad choices. When, Kids from good families make bad choices, but some do, and God himself experienced this. In Isaiah 1 verse 2, he says, listen, O heavens, and hear O earth. Sons I have reared up, and they have revolted against me. God himself has rebellious kids. He says in Jeremiah, in vain I have struck your sons, and and they would not change. Uh, I'm I'm going fast because of time, but Ezekiel 18 is a very important passage that reflects this because you have in the, there's three generations. In the first generation, there is a righteous man. He follows the law. He doesn't do any of the bad things. He does all of the good things that says he will live. But then he has a wicked son. And even though the wicked son saw the good ways of his righteous father, the wicked son still chooses folly and he does all the bad things his dad didn't do. He doesn't do all the good things his dad did. That's the choice he makes, and that's what happens in each generation. We can't, we don't have control over that. Uh, If our children were blank slates, we, through our shortcomings, would wreck them, but they're not blank slates. Even a perfect father, apart from the grace of God renewing them, they would rebel against him because of their sin, like Cain did. So, our children need God's grace. That's back to why we need to pray for them so much. Uh, We, as parents, need the grace of God, grandparents, and, you know, we need God to work as he does. So, you know, we, we have these struggles where you know, some of you have adult children who aren't believers. Some of you may experience grandchildren and your children tried to raise them well and now you've got, and I've dealt with these cases where here's the grandpa whose granddaughter's off at university and she's come out as a lesbian and she's got a girlfriend and she wants to bring the girlfriend to Christmas dinner and she wants everybody to love it and go with it. They're gonna be hard choices. Um, What can you do? Well, you can't choose them over Christ. And I guess really a summary would be that it's not your job to punish them for the wrong they do when they're on their own as adults as they become be it your children or even your grandchildren. It's not in your jurisdiction to stop everything that happens. You can't, it's not in your power. You can't enable it. You don't wanna be like Eli, right, who honored his sons above God and allowed them to continue to serve as priests, even as adults when uh, they were clearly wicked and unqualified. So you can't be an enable of their sin, but you you can't stop it either. Though, and And so, there are two things. One is, is that when, when they put pressure on you to embrace what they're doing wrong, you can't turn from God to keep them happy. And, and I want to summarize the whole thing before I give you some more scripture. But I mean, you can say there's nothing you can do that will stop me from loving you. There's no, nothing you could do. In, I, I'll always want to talk to you. I want to be with you. I care about you. And even though you know I'm very sad about the choices you've made, I wanna always be here for you. But I cannot pay for, enable, or approve of what you're doing. And in some cases, that will result in estrangement. There are people being, grandparents and parents essentially being blackmailed, saying, if you want a relationship with me, you have to accept that I was born a woman in a man's body, and you have to you know, embrace my identity, my, the way I choose to identify myself. And you can say, I love you for you, but I'm not willing to compromise what I believe to maintain the relationship. In Deuteronomy 13, it talks about if you have somebody in the covenant community in the Old Testament who tells you to worship other gods... It says, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye shall not pity him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death. This is talking about your brother, your spouse, that if somebody tells you to worship anything other than God in the old covenant, you had to turn against them and to God. And in our culture, the way it's going to come out is that it's what Jesus described as, you have to hate father and mother to follow me. What he's saying is you have to choose me above them. And I would say you wanna do everything you possibly can to have a good relationship with your unbelieving children and grandchildren. But there may be situations as our culture becomes more wicked when you're gonna say again, I love you, I want a relationship with you, Um, but you can't make me believe what you believe. You can't make me accept what you're doing that is against the Bible. Now in some cases they can live with that and you can be at peace. Be thankful for that. That's kind of the, the life Carolyn and I are living with our kids and the choices they've made. They can at least accept, they're tolerant enough that they accept us not embracing everything they embrace, but there are some people that the intolerance and the judgmental attitude of, of people who are promoting their view of identity, including sexual identity, that they will not accept you unless you convert to their view, and you can't do that. You can love them. You can pray for them. You can care for them. You can have a relationship with them. You can go out of your way to care for them, but sometimes it won't be enough. Now, there is one hopeful thing in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 18. As I mentioned earlier, you had the first generation where there's a righteous son. The second generation sees the life of the righteous righteous man. His son sees his righteousness and rebels against it. This part is worth reading. In Ezekiel 18, then you get to the third generation in verse 14. Now behold, he, that is the wicked man, the wicked son of the righteous man, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins which he committed in observing does not do likewise. And so you have the wicked son and his child, your grandchild, rebels against the father by turning to the Lord and obeying his ways. And I don't know if it's because he saw his grandfather's ways and he chose that. I'm sure he'd heard of it. I mean, it's it's a theoretical situation, but uh, there's hope. And I mean, we kind of laugh at ourselves that our grandchildren are all going to become conservative evangelicals and drive their own parents crazy. Uh, And we'll just try to keep our mouths shut if that happens. Uh, But God may use you uh, for that influence for good and God can save them. And he may have put you in their life to bring the word to them. Um, I've got a few other brief things here. I've got a list of questions under Roman numeral not five. And this really relates to some of what Scott talked about in the pre-conference. And if you weren't there, listen to it when it comes out. Because he talked about counseling in messy situations. And counseling unscripted, meaning there's not a, a pat answer. And so I list some situations. And there's not a just, well, in these situations, this is always what you do. You need a lot of wisdom. And, and I would need to know a lot of details about a situation where I'd say, this is definitely what you do. What do you do if the parents aren't believers? Uh, you know, can I take my grandkids to church or VBS? Can I read Bible stories to them? And you have to be very sensitive to what the parents think and how they feel about it and, you know, how far you can go. Uh, it takes wisdom to navigate that. Um, you know there are also complicated situations listed there what do you do and this is one of the hardest situations we face and maybe you came here just to hear this question answered and the question the answer is going to be it's too complicated to know for sure what to do but we've seen the situation where you see that the parents are acting irresponsibly they're not you know, the husband's not working hard or they they they're not providing well and so you're faced with a situation that your son and your daughter-in-law or your daughter and her kid and there's not even a dad in the picture and, and they're in financial trouble and they want to move in with you or you, they want you to help them and you're thinking on the one hand I shouldn't be enabling you because you're in this mess because you're drinking too much and you're not working enough and you're wasting your money but those are my grandchildren. What can I do? And You need more wisdom than I can give you in the last three minutes I've got. Because in some situations, my opinion would be, you bite the bullet and you help because you love your grandchildren so much, that's as best you can tell the best thing for them, even if the parents don't deserve the help. There could be a case so severe you say, if you want us to help with the grandchildren, drop them off and we'll start taking care of them, but we're not gonna take care of the mess you've created. There could be situations so bad you call CPS, because it's dangerous for your grandchildren. So there's there's this wide variety. Again, as the world becomes more godless, the complications and the situations many Christians get into uh, will be more difficult. Uh, There are statistics how the number of situations where grandchildren are living with grandparents is multiplying in the last generation. Uh, There are millions of grandchildren living with their grandparents. In some cases, the grandparents are really raising them while the kids are off doing whatever and Uh, In some cases, they're all just living in one home, and the grandparents are really providing the stability. Uh, It's tough. I will give you one general piece of advice, and that would be that parental responsibility should be accompanied by parental authority. In the sense, I've seen cases where mom and dad split up, they've got a daughter, neither one of them really wants to mess with the daughter, the grandparents take over, they take care of the child for seven years, then one of the parents wants her back my advice based on that would be, if they don't want to take responsibility for their child, you make it legal that you're adopting the child. It's not that you don't want the parents in the life, but the parents don't want to be parents, then rather than, okay, now I want her back again even though I've totally ignored the child for seven years. Um, so, uh, as we get older, like I said, I Carolyn and I hit, hit our 60s last year, a great shock to us. Old age can be a blessing. One of those blessings um, is the blessing of, of grandparents. I like how Paul talks in 2 Timothy that he wants to finish well. You know, I've finished the race, completed the course. Um, old age is not a time for laziness and selfishness. Uh, I love Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, establish the work of our hands, is that we want to be fruitful for God as long as we can. As we get older, maybe a little bit less fruitful, but part of the fruitfulness will be in helping our children, helping our grandchildren to the extent God gives us ability and opportunity and to be a blessing. And then in Isaiah 46, verse 4, even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you and I will deliver you. And then also just in terms of our family in Christ is that and some have beautiful situations in their families. I'm very thankful for you. Some of us are somewhere in the middle. Some are struggling terribly. And I thank, I'm thankful it's in, in Luke 18 where Peter has said, well, many of us have left everything to follow you. And Jesus talks about how yeah, some have left families and fields and all these, but you will gain much more. Is that in Christ we have a family which is forever, is secure in which there is hope. We 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 yearn for our earthly families to share in that with us. But no matter what happens with our earthly families, we will never be alone. Uh, let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that your word speaks with authority, power, and clarity to many situations in life. And we pray, Lord, that as we navigate this stage of life for some of us with grandchildren, that you would give us wisdom to be a help to the parents, to be an influence for the grandchildren. be quiet and we should be quiet to speak up and we should speak up. Give us opportunities to bring your gospel to our grandchildren. And we pray, Lord, that you would save our children and our grandchildren and that we could unite in in praising and worshiping you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2019 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.